0: Thank you for joining us. And now, here's this week's message with special guest speaker, Eric Wood. He's preaching on Genesis chapter 16 with a message entitled, The God Who Sees.
1: Good morning. We are in Genesis chapter 16 this morning, so open up your Bibles. There's a Bible in the pew in front of you, and Genesis 16 can be found on page 10, So open up to Genesis 16, and I I want to look first down at verse 15. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Last time we saw Abram, a couple of weeks ago in Genesis 15, he was asleep and he was witnessing Yahweh, the God of the universe, cut a covenant with him. Genesis 15, 18 says on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, I give this land to your offspring. I give this land. Now, at the end of chapter 16 Uh, Moses, the author of Genesis, wants to make crystal clear to us by repeating over and over again that Hagar bore Abram a son. Something has gone wrong here. Abram's wife is Sarai. And yet we're told three times in these verses that Hagar bears Abram a son. Hagar, not Sarai. So what gives? Think for a moment about the world around us. Can you come up with anything that the world tells you is okay, but that God would not approve of? Is culture around you encouraging you to participate in something that the Bible prohibits? Do you have anything in mind? I thought of a few examples, uh, some ideas that culture has embraced, and that have even become laws. That sent me down a rabbit hole, and thanks to my wife, Megan, uh, before we get serious, let's get a little silly, all right? I have some examples here of actual laws, meaning real people really proposed and debated And voted these things into law. All right? Here we go. In Washington, it is against the law to kill Bigfoot. So if you're hunting Sasquatch, stay here in Oregon. And speaking of hunting, in Virginia, it is illegal to hunt on Sundays. Unless you're hunting raccoons. So they actually wrote that into the law. In Tennessee, it is against the law to hold public office if you've ever been in a duel. So keep that in mind. In my home state of Oklahoma, eavesdropping is against the law. Here's what the law actually says. Every person guilty of secretly loitering about any building with intent to overhear And to repeat, is guilty of a misdemeanor. So if you're nosy, stay out of the Sooner State. (laughs) Megan would never be able to live in Missouri, where it is illegal to have more than two garage sales in a year. (laughs) And they even spell out they can't last longer than three days. Two garage sales, three days. In Idaho, cannibalism is illegal except in extreme circumstances. (laughs) In Massachusetts, you can be fined if you sing the national anthem incorrectly. And finally, in Kansas, and I assure you, I am not making this up, it is illegal to put ice cream on cherry pie. Thankfully, they don't enforce that law anymore, but it's on their books in Kansas. Those are some silly laws that we don't take very seriously. But what we're looking at this morning in Genesis 16 is culture encouraging and approving that which goes against God and his plan. So here are, some, here are a few examples of that. On January 22nd, 1973 the Supreme Court of the United States handed down their decision on the case of Roe versus Wade, legalizing abortion. Our culture has accepted this to the point that over 50 million babies have been killed. By the year 2010, every state in the United States had passed laws allowing no-fault divorce, meaning our culture has so accepted and normalized divorce that you didn't even need a reason anymore to sever the sacred union. On June 26th, 2015, the Supreme Court decided on Obergefell versus Hodges, legalizing marriage between same-sex couples. Culture has accepted this as normal. It's in TV shows, it's in movies, it's in commercials when you're just trying to watch golf on a Sunday. On March 17th, 2022, a man won the Women's College National Championship in swimming. Culture has accepted this. Our culture has lost its mind. And we, the church, must not take our cues from culture. We must listen to the God who sees And we must look to the God who hears. Abram and Sarai have looked to the world, to the culture around them, to what is normal and accepted in their day. They've looked there to solve their problems. They've gone to culture to help God fulfill his promises. This Genesis chapter 16 is very sensory. There's a lot of. Looking and seeing, and hearing, and beholding. If Abram had listened to the God who sees, they would have avoided a huge mess. If Sarai had looked to the God who hears, they would have avoided a huge mess. Instead, they looked to the culture around them and listened to each other And we are still dealing with the fallout to this very day. What aspect of your life are you living without listening or looking to God? Are you listening to or looking to the world when you should be listening and looking to God? Are you getting your cues from culture rather than the creator? Let's read Genesis chapter 16. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So, After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Verse 4, And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, "'May the wrong done to me be on you. "'I gave my servant to your embrace, "'and when she saw that she had conceived, "'she looked on me with contempt. "'May the Lord judge between you and me.' "'But Abram said to Sarai, "'Behold, your servant is in your power. "'Do to her as you please.' "'Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, "'and she fled from her. "'The angel of the Lord found her "'by a spring of water in the wilderness.' the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well is called Beer Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. This is God's word. Our text can be broken down into three sections. Sarai's wrong vision. Verses 1 through 6. Hagar's God vision is verses 7 to 14. And Abram's new vision is verses 15 and 16. So let's look again up at verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Here are two of our main characters, Sarai and Hagar. Hagar. We were introduced to Sarai back in Genesis 11. And what's the first thing we learn about her? Genesis 11, verse 30. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no child. The first thing we learn about Sarai is that she was barren. And here in chapter 16, we're reminded she has borne Abram no children. Barrenness must have been really hard for Sarai. And maybe you've experienced it. Feeling less than whole or that you're not even sure of your identity if you can't have children. What we're going to continue to see as we walk through Genesis is that barrenness is not accidental. It is from God. God. God promised Abram that his offspring will inherit this land. So now we have this dramatic tension. Abram needs offspring. Sarai is barren. Enter Hagar. We're told specifically she's an Egyptian servant, meaning she probably joined the household back in chapter 12 when Abram and Sarai fled to Egypt to escape famine. So we have our two main female characters, Sarai, Abram's wife, and Hagar, Sarai's Egyptian servant. Verse two. And Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Behold is the biblical way to say, look, Or, see here, see, Sarah says, there's no baby inside me. Sarai's vision is all wrong. She's looking to her womb for worth. She's aware of God's promise of offspring for Abram, and she's also aware of why she doesn't have any kids. She says, the Lord is preventing me from getting pregnant. This is what I meant when I said barrenness is not accidental, because Sarai is exactly right. The Lord has prevented her from bearing children. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Since they can't get pregnant, Sarai looks to the culture around her. There are several ancient texts, including the Code of Hammurabi, that spell out this custom of a barren wife giving her servant to her husband, and any children produced by the servant would belong to the wife. Sarai says, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. Literally, the words are, I will be built up. Sarai will be built up by the children born to Hagar. She will be built up. She will have worth and meaning in her life. Giving a servant to your husband for the purpose of having children was a thing that was happening in the culture of Sarai's time. She bought in and suggested it to Abram. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. This is Eve listening to the voice of the serpent. This is Adam listening to the voice of Eve. When God is pronouncing judgment on Adam, back in Genesis 3, he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, that's Genesis 3, 17, the point is not husbands don't listen to your wives. Okay, of course not. Just this morning, I had a nice long sleeve shirt set out to wear. My lovely wife said, you're going to be too hot And I listened to the voice of my wife (laughs) and I feel great up here. (laughs) Husbands, listen to your wives. Much wisdom comes from there. The point of this is listen to God first. If you hear anything contradictory to what God says, flee from it. Don't listen to it. Don't accept it. Don't tolerate it. Listen to God. Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Abram didn't listen to the voice of God. Maybe she said, and again, we're calling back to Genesis 3. Maybe she said, did God actually say your offspring would be my offspring too? Did God actually mention me when he covenanted with you? And promised you more offspring than the stars in the sky? Did God actually say? And would that Abram had said, Oh, my wife, God did not say that. God did not mention you. Because he did not have to. We are one, My love, you and I, we are one flesh. You are my wife. Any promise to me involves you. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. My offspring, our offspring will come from God. God will see to it. God will do it. He has closed your womb. He will open it in the right and good time. Please don't twist the Almighty's words, my love. But he didn't say that. Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now we're in verse 3. So, after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. 10 years Abram's been in Canaan. Ten years since he heard God's voice and obeyed God's call to journey from his homeland to the promised land. Ten years and still no offspring. Ten years of monthly reminders for Sarai that she is still not pregnant. So Sarai took Hagar and Sarai gave Gave her to her husband. We shouldn't miss this connection back to Genesis 3. Eve saw the fruit was good, so she took and gave it to her husband. Sarai saw she wasn't pregnant, so she took and gave to her husband. Hagar represents forbidden fruit in this supposed to be monogamous marriage. Abram fled to Egypt once before, back in chapter 12, and now he returns to Egypt in the form of Hagar, the Egyptian. The first time he left the promised land and went down to Egypt, th- that should have convinced him that God's plan involved Sarai. If you remember, God protected Sarai while she was in Pharaoh's house. And God even brought great plagues because of Sarai. Genesis 12:17. Sarai is Abram's wife, and she gives Hagar to Abram as a wife. Proverbs has a warning for just this situation. In Proverbs 30, it says, Under three things the earth trembles, under four it cannot bear up. A slave when he becomes king, a fool when he is filled with food, an unloved woman when she gets a husband and a maid servant when she displaces her mistress hagar the servant is now hagar the wife and the earth is trembling look at verse 4 and he went into hagar and she conceived and when she saw that she had conceived she looked with contempt on her mistress Abram and Hagar make a baby. Abram's true first wife is barren. His new false second wife is fruitful, and she conceives. And it goes right to her head. The earth trembles. It cannot bear up, says the proverb. Hagar sees her growing belly and looked with contempt on Sarai. She despised her. She feels like she's the true wife of Abram. After all, she's carrying the offspring. So she looks with contempt on Sarai. But it's more than that. God's initial blessing to Abram was, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 12, 3. That word for dishonors is the word we have here for contempt. You don't want to go around dishonoring Abram or his family. God says right there, whoever dishonors you, I will curse. Hagar dishonors Sarai. Their plan, Abram's and Sarai's plan is already unraveling. They are so far out of the bounds of God's will, we already see the undoing of the Genesis 12 blessing, and the baby isn't even born yet. Verse 5. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Oh boy, you see what the proverb means by the earth is trembling. Sarai's culture-inspired idea works. Hagar's going to have a baby, all according to Sarai's plan. But it's not according to God's plan, so there is suffering. May the wrong done to me be on you. You, Abram, are responsible for this. Just like her ancestor Eve, Sarai shifts the blame. And here's that phrase again. She looked on me with contempt. She has dishonored me, says Sarai. What are you going to do about it, Abram? Just like his ancestor, Adam, Abram shrugs off responsibility. Verse six. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. Abram, Abram, behold, your servant? Sarai gave Hagar to Abram as a wife, and now push has come to shove, and Abram withers under the gaze of his first true wife. Your servant is in your power. Do as you please. Adam stood silently by while the serpent deceived his wife. Now Abram stands silently by. While Sarai mistreats his other wife Sarai dealt harshly with her Sarai abuses Hagar To the point that Hagar flees In our first scene Sarai's wrong vision We have Abram not listening to God Sarai looking to her womb for her worth And looking to the world for answers Instead of looking to God And Hagar also looking to her womb for worth And dishonoring Sarai, basically biting the hand that feeds. We need a hero in our story. These are a bunch of villains. In scene two, verses seven to 14, Hagar meets the hero and has a God vision. Verse seven the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. Hagar is at the spring. On the way to Shur, meaning she's heading back to Egypt. These people have mistreated her, they've dealt harshly with her, and she's heading home, back to her people, back to Egypt. And the angel of the Lord finds her. Not that she was lost to him, but that's where she is, so that's where he goes. He came to her there, he met her there. My friends, you can run, but you can't hide. If you're facing a difficult situation, God sees you. If you feel unloved or unlistened to, God sees you. If you feel like running from your problems like Hagar, God sees you. God sees you. And that's what we're going to see in this interaction between the angel of the Lord and Hagar. Verse 8. And he, the angel, said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel knows her. He knows her name. He knows her title, servant of Sarai, not wife of Abram. That's not her title, and that never should have happened. He asks her some questions, not for his own knowledge, but for her to participate in the conversation. Just like God asking Adam and Eve, where are you? The angel is drawing Hagar into the conversation. Where have you come from and where are you going? These are crucial, crucial questions for us to consider this morning. Believer, where have you come from? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. God made you alive. And where are you going? Back into sin? May it never be. Listen to God, look to God, follow God in faith. Hagar answers him honestly, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. Verse 9, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Hagar, go back to Sarai and Abram. The child is Abram's after all, and submit to Sarai. She treated you harshly. She abused you. But your place is as her servant. You have not displaced her. She is Adam's true wife. Go back and submit to her as her servant. Hagar, go back to your abuser. (laughs) Friends, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. This is what happened. This isn't what you should do. If you're in an abusive relationship, Please seek help. Don't use this passage as God telling you to go back. Verse 10. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Verse 10 is amazing. The angel also said, right? Oh, by the way. And then he gives her this huge promise. I will multiply your offspring. This outsider, this Egyptian maidservant, this woman is met by God and given a promise similar to Abram's. God cares about the outsider. Here we are in Genesis 16, following the life of Abram, the father of our faith, and we take this detour to Hagar, the Egyptian maidservant, God cares. You don't have to be the big shot, the pastor, the CEO. You can be young and uneducated and from a foreign place. God cares. God sees. Let's look at verses 11 and 12 together. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Here is the formal birth announcement. You are pregnant, you will bear a son, and you'll name him Ishmael, which means God hears The Lord has listened to your affliction, Hagar. He heard Sarai dealing harshly with you. God hears. So name your baby that. And then the angel describes the baby's life. He'll be a wild donkey of a man, which is a metaphor for an individualistic lifestyle that's not restricted by social convention. His hand is against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He dwells over against his kinsmen. In other words, he is not the child of promise. The nations will not be blessed through Ishmael. Ishmael is the father of the Arab people and the forefather of the Islamic faith. The conflict between the Arabic people and the Jewish people, which goes on to this day, was prophesied right here in Genesis 16. We, as Christians, should pray for the Arabic people, for the Islamic people, that they would look to the God who hears, that they would consider the name of their forefather, Ishmael, and they would look to the God who hears. This birth announcement is strikingly similar to the birth announcement in Luke chapter 1. There, the angel Gabriel finds Mary in Nazareth, and he says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This son, Jesus... Would not be a wild donkey of a man. He would be great. The son of the most high. His hand would not be against everyone. With everyone's hand against him. But God will give him the throne of his father, David. This son would not dwell over against all his kinsmen. But he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. This is the truest son of promise. Isaac will be born to Abraham in a couple of chapters. He's the initial son of promise. From Isaac will come the truest son of promise, Jesus Christ, the one through whom we can be forgiven of our sins, cleansed from our unrighteousness, given his righteousness as our own. Jesus Christ the one through whom we are adopted into the family of God, redeemed from slavery to sin, set free from guilt and shame. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In verse 13, Hagar responds to the angel. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. This angel that found Hagar, that knew her by name, that blessed her and her child, is none other than God himself, specifically the second person of the Trinity, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. This is a theophany. Theophany is the big theological term for a visible manifestation to humankind of God. No one has seen God, John 1.18, but we've seen Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. And so we know this is Jesus. This isn't one of the other angels like Gabriel or Michael, because he himself is the one doing the work of the promise. Verse 10 says, I will surely multiply your offspring. Whoever is speaking, he's the one that's going to do it. And then Hagar gives God a name. You are a God of seeing. This is the only time in the Bible where a human gives a name to God, interestingly enough. The name has multiple meanings. It could be, you are the God who sees me, emphasizing God's pursuit and God's care for her. Or it could be, you are the God I see since she has just seen and talked to God. Either way, the God who sees has shown great tender care for her and her unborn son. Abram and Sarai saw her as a womb, as a way to be built up, as a way to run around God's promise. But God sees her. She is seen. Verse 14, Therefore, the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. What was a spring before in verse 7 is now referred to as a well. As we're reading our Bible, whenever we come across a woman at a well, she encounters there her true love, her beloved. Hagar meets God himself at this well. Rachel meets her husband Jacob at a well in Genesis 29. Zipporah meets her husband Moses at a well in Exodus 2. There's a well involved in the Isaac-Rebecca story as well. But perhaps your mind has already gone to the most famous story of a woman at a well. There's another outcast woman, who has no true husband, who met someone at a well who truly saw her. John chapter 4 tells the story of Jesus meeting a woman at a well. She's a Samaritan, meaning she's an outsider. She's not part of the covenant family of Abraham. She's an adulteress living with someone who isn't her husband. Yet Jesus sees her offers her living water. She goes back to her village and proclaims, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. He saw me. He noticed me. He offered me a drink. He knew me. She saw the God who sees. Hagar saw the pre-incarnate Christ. The Samaritan woman in John 4 saw Jesus in the flesh. Back in Genesis 16, this well has a name. It means literally, "Belonging to the living one, my seeing one." The name of the well would be a testament that God is the God who sees. And for Moses' initial audience, you could go see it if you wanted to. It's right there. it's between Kadesh and Bared. This really happened. This is not fairy tale or fable. This is historical fact, and geographical landmarks like this offer proof that these events actually happened. And now section three, Abram's new vision. Hagar has listened to the God who sees. She has obeyed, and she returned to Sarai and Abram. Verse 15, and Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Hagar must have told Abram about her visit with the God who sees because he obeys and names him Ishmael. He recognizes God sees and God hears. He shows belief by obeying and naming his son according to what the Lord says. The repetition of Hagar's name in these verses is to heighten the tension as we wait for the promised offspring. Hagar bearing a child does not fulfill the promise. That tension is also what verse 16 is for. Abram is 86 years old now. He has Ishmael, but Ishmael is a child of the flesh, not the child of promise. And that's what we learned from the Apostle Paul's handling of this chapter. In Galatians 4, Paul writes, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. This scheme, this plan, this child was born according to the flesh. Abram and Sarai took it upon themselves to help God fulfill his promise. God doesn't need help. He graciously brings us in and involves us in his plan. He sovereignly called Abram out of Ur. He chose him to be the father of our faith. God blessed him. God credited his belief as righteousness. God made the promise. God is going to fulfill the promise. We are to trust God, no matter how hopeless it may seem. Everything seemed hopeless on Good Friday, as Jesus hung dead on the cross. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose triumphant, proving God's promises will come to pass. We enter the picture in Galatians 4 down in verse 28. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Helping God in our strength is living according to the flesh. Believing God for patience to endure and listening to him and looking to him is living through promise. Since we, believers, are children of promise. If you fight your sin by trying harder not to sin, you are living according to the flesh. If you fight your sin by looking to God for help and listening to God for help, you are living as a child of promise. Listen to the God who sees. Look to the God who hears. Let's pray together. Father, would you give us the strength and patience to endure and to trust in you? Help us to look to you in your word and listen to you in your word. Hold us fast. We thank you for securing for us the promises when you rose Jesus from the dead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.